you don't only just like lose your father physically, but then I became filled with all of these questions and I was so confused. You know, if you don't have a steady path and track ahead of you and you don't have any goals, but I can't even begin to formulate any goals because I'm filled with all these stupid little questions that I feel like I needed answered right then and there. I just felt so angry against my dad. All right. Um, I'm going to start off by saying that this is a very special episode for anyone listening right now because Max, to my right, is you know one of my. One of, I don't know if you saw him wave there. He's one of my dearest friends, and it's, this has been a long time coming to get him on the podcast to share his story uh, that we've intimately discussed before. But I don't think on this level, we just we never like got a dang a rabbit. We hole. never got like too deep into it, but I definitely remember. Back in LA when we first met, that was one of the main points. We're like, "Oh, your dad died. Sweet, mine too." <laughs> that's why. That's why uh, we're gonna be dropping the, the the merch. Is about like the not the Dead Dad Club, but the club. It's a good one though. It's, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's it, it is a real thing. There is like a. I think that happens with any with many different things. You know what I mean? If you're <coughs> actually in a club or or our club of uh, you know both losing our father, there is like a commonality of a of a bond there. And even though every experience is different, just like that underlying vein that we both lost our dad, you know, I think it clearly yeah, gravitated. Yeah, especially us. since we both lost our fathers at, you know, relatively young ages. Mm. Um, you know, obviously 9-11 when we were much younger and then my father when I was 19. So I was actually heading into college and at that point just had been through everything that I went through with him and battling cancer for the last four years. And it like, you know, messed me up a lot in school and socially. And it was, you know, tough. And, you know, my mother did a great job of being the backbone of everything and encouraging me to, you know, I'll go as a neurotic Jewish mother would. You need to go see a therapist and blah, blah. I'm like, why do I need to go to talk to somebody who doesn't know me, blah, blah, blah. Obviously now I understand the benefits of it. Mm -hmm. um, but in, in hindsight, I noticed where it was disrupting my social life and, you know, ability to think and grow. And I spent a lot of time lamenting on that and blaming my father for so much when I should have just been actively taking responsibility of everything going on instead of looking for a place to blame or even looking for a father figure in some capacity somewhere mm -hmm. else, which I did for years and years and years. It's just, it's not, it makes sense when you say I should have done this. I feel like we all say that, but at the same time, you, know, what did you, you only knew what you knew at the time. Sure. So when you said hindsight, at what point did you make some of these realizations of how much? Last Thursday. Okay. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, <laughs> no, it's been, I, I can't tell you that there's been any one specific instance where it was like an aha moment. Right. I've just noticing, I've noticed shifts in who I am in becoming a man and accepting responsibility for everything, like I said, instead of like placing blame on it. Um, what were you at? What, what kind of blame? What kind of anger was going towards your father? I was pissed because to me, I was like transitioning out of high school, going to college, like starting to really get some idea of what I want to do with myself as a person, as for a career. Um, ask him questions about women. Ask him questions about politics. About like all these questions that you want to have. Um, and talk to somebody who's been through it and has seen it. And obviously having a relate, having a close relationship with your father and then having that taken from you, you, it, 
it not you not you don't only just like lose your father physically, but then I became filled with all of these questions and I was so confused and I had no idea what was going on. And so, you know, if you don't have a steady path and track ahead of you and you don't have any goals, but I can't even begin to formulate any goals because I'm filled with all these stupid little questions that I feel like I needed answered right then and there. That caused me to just like it. I just felt so angry against my dad Mm -hmm. and all he did from when he was diagnosed with cancer up until the day he went into hospice, all he did was everything he could for my family. Um, Drinker and smoker his entire life. He had just the type of, he was super stubborn. So stubborn in the sense that even when he was going through his surgery and he had a trachea and he was being fed through his stomach, through a tube, I don't know how, but this guy is still smoking cigarettes. (laughs) Half his teeth were missing. Half his tongue was gone because of all the radiation and surgery and stuff like that. But here he is like walking up the stairs, walking down the stairs, trying his best to still work. You know, a lot of his uh, business was based on communication (laughs) But he was still, you know, sending faxes. That's right. when this was. Um, <laughs> okay, even though it's really not that long ago, it's still funny to say. Um, so yeah. So there's a lot. There's a lot in there. It's, it's again. I want to. This is very interesting to me because I've known you for so long now, and you know, a, a lot of these things are selfishly interesting. If you guys don't mind, because I, I haven't heard a lot of the shit. So it's like we're like we're unpacking a lot, but. What was what was his attitude towards that? Because obviously you you you're acknowledging the work that he put in mm. during that. Then you're also acknowledging on the other side of the spectrum the anger you felt, which to me it feels like you're insinuating you didn't have a reason to be angry at him. I, no, yeah. So my anger came from my own selfishness in believing that he left me too soon, which sure might be true, but also this is what happens in life, mm. and I wasn't at an age or a mental state where I was either able to even have that thought, let alone be okay with it and understand that this is what happens. Um, and that shit happens in life, man. And you have to fight for yourself sometimes. Did you guys ever have a conversation about the path he was going on? Like whether he would survive or not? No, excuse me. Um, that's a really good question because I have a, I think the perfect answer for it of who he was and Mm. kind of ties into this part. Um, We never had a real conversation about life or death. Um, I don't, I don't know my father's thoughts about life and death. You know, these are things that I was upset about. I, from talking to my mother and from this one instance, I'm going to share that kind of sums everything up. I have his view on it. Like, I think I could formulate, an idea of what he thought. So where's that coming from? Sorry. Where are you getting this for? Like, where are you formulating these? So to better answer your question, there was this, there was a time when he was in the hospital. There was a night where he suffered a heart attack and a stroke, went into a coma. The doctors put him in ICU. He was in a coma for a week. He had a no recessatory clause, which means if he's in a vegetable state, basically like pull the plug, like he doesn't want to be, Kept alive all the time. So he made that decision, essentially. He had that decision. That was in legal writing. I don't know if I'm going to get my family in trouble because the doctors broke the law on this. We'll, uh, we'll, co- we'll confirm that and edit it out. It's fine. Something. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I don't even know his doctors anymore. But he, my dad had like... <laughs> might not be a doctor anymore. <clears throat> my doctor... <clears throat> no, doctors. <clears throat> Sorry, you got to edit that. <laughs> it's cool. Um, <laughs> so 
my father had like a doctor for every body part. He was an athlete in college, so he had like doctors for his knees, his shoulders. Sounds like a kink. Internal organs. Well, all the doctors loved him so much. And when he was in a coma, the doctors came in and were like, look, we know he has a no recessatory clause, but I'm not pulling the plug on it. Like, I'm not, I refuse to do this. Wow. Like, let's give it some time and see what happens. Um, so a week goes by. The doctor comes in. My mother's in the, in the room with my dad. My dad's still in a coma. And uh, the doctor's like, all right, like we have until 12 o'clock tonight. And 12 o'clock tonight, like we're going to do it. And I'm like, okay. So like we were all prepared for it. I don't know how long after it, but like it must have been just a few hours after it was. That was sometime in the morning, like in the early morning hours. And like sometime in the afternoon, my dad wakes up. And my, like obviously everyone's like, what the fuck is going on here? Crazy. Now, and I'll preface this by saying when people are going through certain stages of cancer with loved ones and they're fighting for their life, like, wow, they fought cancer for this many years. It's incredible. Yes, it's strength, but holy shit, you're watching a person deteriorate slowly right in front of your eyes. And, you know, my dad went from, you know, not a big guy, 5'9", 5'10", 190 pounds maybe, just shrink and shrivel and dwindle into nothing and just like bones and skin. And is he a, is he a badass for going through it and doing everything he can? Of course. But from, an, from the, a family's perspective and a friend's perspective, every day, like you wake up and like now I'm walking down the stairs, <clears throat> getting ready to go to school, leaving in the morning and there's this caretaker in the house, like feeding him through a tube in your stomach. And then the next day you wake up and there he is. And he looks a little bit thinner and a little more frail. And she's cutting his hair out of his eyes. And you're just like, this is, it's just like this weird thing to see like every day. So anyway, my mother's in the hospital room with him a couple of days after he wakes up out of a coma. So obviously he's still in the hospital. And <clears throat> at this point, he can't speak anymore. His salivatory glands are shot from the radiation. He's missing most of his teeth, most of his tongue from the surgeries. Um, he's immobile on his right side because of the stroke. So he's communicating, just writing with his left and whatever's left of his brain, you know, like he's so fried and been through all of this shit. Like, I, like he, it's probably just like sparks mm. of thoughts and ideas that could happen. No train of thought. And my mother asked him, how are you still like, how are you still alive? How are you still doing this? And he wrote down, all I know is to get stronger. What other options do I have? Wow. And so I think that sums up your question about how he viewed life and death of fuck this. All I could do is get better and be the best I could be. That's the only way out of this. So accept it. Just it is what it is and just fight until your last fucking breath. At what point did you, did she tell you about that? What he wrote? Like that, so I have, that the time? I have the paper at home and I have the, I had a tattooed on my ribs as well. So every time I feel like I'm in a shit situation, I'm like, oh, well, I don't have cancer and I'm fully mobile and I could speak and I'm able-bodied and I'm healthy. So shut up and do your thing. I mean, that's as deep as that is. That's, that's beautiful, right? Yeah, it's amazing. But is that something, you, one of the things you've kind of recollected down the road or is when she, was that something you re, you realized at the time when she, when did, at what point did your mom show you that he wrote that down? Was it Immedi like, oh, immediately. Immediately? Yeah, it showed me, it was, yeah. And did that, do you remember what that hit, how that hit you at that time? Because I'm curious the different Yeah, I definitely, even, even in like a more immature and frail state of mind and age, 
I, I still felt that ping inside of me that was like, oh, okay. Like I get, I kind of get it. Like I, it's okay. And that helped me a lot. Like I, that obviously that kept that circulating through my mind throughout the duration of him. So he ended up coming out of the hospital for another like year and a half, two years before he had to go into hospice and died a couple days later. But throughout the rest of the time that he was back home and eventually in hospice, I kept that at the forefront of my mind is all I know is to get stronger. What options do I have? And I remember, um, dude, I, I remember the exact day. It's so crazy because I was at a hockey rink playing hockey with our good friend Derek and his brother Paz. And uh, we wrapped up hockey, just like stick and puck, messing around, having fun. And um, I was like, all right, like, I'm going to go see my dad. And I drove over there. And this is the only time I went to see him in hospice. And uh, I drove over there. My mom is there. My dad's in bed. Now in hospice, depending on where the person is on their journey towards death, the sheets get pulled up a little bit higher, a little bit higher, a little bit higher because the your skin is getting, the blood is stopping to flow. Like everything is just kind of sagging. You, you're pale and everything. So when I got there, my dad had his left arm out to right, everything else, the sheets were pulled up basically to like his chin. And I was like, okay, like this is crazy. So I was in there for a couple minutes, like joked around. He's on a morphine drip. So there's like no semblance of himself other than little jokes and like quir like quirks or quips or whatever that he's tossing out there. And we're laughing and um, he's kind of like chuckling to his ability because he knows it's like, well, here we are. Like I'm mm -hmm. going to die soon. And um, so I remember thinking in my head, I was like, all I know is to get strong. Like what options do I have? And so I was like, all right, I'm going to go. So I, this was after like 20, 30 minutes that I spent in there, get up. And like, I felt this like odd thing to where I got up and I didn't know what to do. And it felt like I was standing there for like five, 10 minutes, but my mother like noticed it immediately. And as soon as I got up, didn't know what to do. My mother goes, it's okay. Like you could kiss your dad. And so I gave him a kiss on the cheek. I turned around as I'm walking out, as soon as I crossed the threshold of his, his room into the hallway, I thought, that's the last time I'm going to see him. I fucking know it. And all I thought was like, yes, I'll get strong, blah, 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 blah. And uh, dude, sure enough, a couple of days later at one in the morning, this is another instance to where our good friend Derek comes into play. Derek was the first person I told. And um, I was, it was like, I think it was like 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning. And I had a girlfriend at the time and I had left her house in the middle of the night. Cause I was like, I, I need to go home. Like something's not right. Like that, it was weird. I was like, I'm, I gotta go. So I drive home, I get upstairs, I'm sitting in my room. I'm on like AIM or some shit. And I'm talking to Derek, I'm talking to Jeremy. The <clears> phone <throat> rings next to me and the caller ID pops up. It says hospice by the sea. And this is at like two in the morning. And so I, I look at it, I'm like, well, they're not just calling us to tell us that he fell asleep or he's getting better. Like, that's for sure. I let it ring. My mother picks up after like two or three rings. And I'm just like, I'm sitting there and I'm just like staring at my computer. I'm just like waiting for my mom to come in. And she knocks on the door. She comes in. I turn around. Just like she's still holding the phone. She's crying. And she goes to open her mouth. And I'm like, I know. I, I already know. 
So she closes the door, walks downstairs, and then I type to Derek. I'm like, yo, D, I'm like, he's gone. And then I told Jeremy, I'm like, he's gone. And then I like, I get up, <clears throat> like I make a couple other calls and I go over to my, you know, a friend of mine's house who I grew up with, uh, you know, buddies, the roses that live right behind me. And uh, it was a very surreal moment and it took a little while for it to kick in. And even sitting there and talking about it the night that it happened. And like, I left my mother. I'm like, is somebody coming? She's like, her sister's coming. Her parents are coming. My sister was living on the West Coast of Florida at the time. Um, and I just like, I bounced. Like, I got in my car and I just bounced. I didn't know what to do. And uh, it was, there was a part of me that, of course, was so sad and, and upset. And I wanted to cry, but for some reason I couldn't. There was another part of me that was like, thank fucking God. Right. Like, Jesus. Like, I've watched it. Like, not only for, like, <clears throat> my sake and my, you know, friends and families. Like, like, dude, like, my dad went through all of that and, like, tormented himself through everything he went through. You know, tormenting himself for his entire life with all his demons and shit, whatever. But having to go through that for four years and, you know... I couldn't imagine what it was like for him to not be able to do the things that he loved to do. And one of those things was like, I played a lot of sports growing up. So he would be at like, if he wasn't traveling for business, that all my hockey games, he was at all my baseball games. And I couldn't imagine what it was like for him to like slowly watch his life fade in front of his eyes of not being able to be there for his son and his daughter and his wife and so as selfish as I felt, I never took the time to put myself in his shoes and think like, oh my God, like, mm -hmm. what's this, like, what kind of toll is this taking on him? Like, forget about the radiation, forget about the cancer. His soul is being eaten away by the fact that he's not present with his family. And he lived for us, like literally. But what does that contradiction do? Because obviously you don't want your dad to die, but at the same time, there's a relief factor there. And you're kind of, it's like, there's a, there's a blend of anticipatory grief where you're, you know, expecting him to. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a ticking time. So it's like, it's like pre-grieving pre in a mm -hmm. sense. So does that, what, what is that contradiction of knowing he's going to die, seeing him deteriorate, deteriorate, and um, not wanting him to die, obviously, but knowing it's inevitable. Like, is that. I was so back. So I obviously now at my age and how long it's been since it happened. Cam break. Okay. Great. Sorry. Awesome. <laughs> um, being where I am now in life and the age I'm at and the understanding, the a bit more understanding that I have now, obviously with time, there'll be more understanding. Mm -hmm. I wasn't even thinking like that, really. It was, I, like, I, wasn't, I wasn't making the conscious... Comparing and contrasting and different, like differentiating. Between I the guess two. it's more I of a question knew, of where I, you're seeing it now because yeah. at the time you, you know. I mean, obviously it goes without saying. Like I miss him every day. Mm -hmm. You know, some days more times than others. But like, if this was happening right now at my age, and I was watching him go through it, this is crazy to say, and this is like the first time I've thought it, but. I probably wouldn't want them to keep him alive while he was in coma. Right, but is that is that tough to? analysis and like put a real word on that because of what you've experienced you know what i mean like are you saying that as someone who's experienced it or are you saying as because every that experience i would assume has shaped you obviously it shapes who you, who you are mm. so it's like it's all philosophical but would you be saying that if you didn't go through this you know because you went through that yeah shit. fair question probably not honestly <laughs> you know I mean? um 
But at the same time, it's, you know, it's really difficult because knowing what I know now, just a little bit more about life than I did when I was 19 years old, you don't want anyone to suffer in any capacity. And the reason why we all wanted him to live was out of selfishness, obviously. Um, And sometimes that's not fair. And we have to understand that what's best for other people isn't going to be in our immediate best interest. Mm. But looking back on it now, also like, were those years that he was alive, like worth the pain and kind of like torment that the family went through, like watching all this happen and the money that was spent and like all that kind of stuff, because not only is it painful on the soul and, and for personal reasons, that's expensive as fuck, dude. And well, what about the, to- is, what, what, <clears throat> yes, expensive, but my, my thought process of that, because it's something I've never experienced, is, you know, you have this idea or experiences with your father as your father when he was healthy and then yeah. the last part of your life. It's like looking at like Michael Jordan go to the Wizards. Like, you gonna remember him on the Wizards mm-hmm. or you remember him on the Bulls? So it's like, does that, does that have any tough correlation for you during that process? Like if, if you had to let go of how you saw his body deteriorate and understand like that wasn't, you know, that wasn't, that was your dad in many ways, the way he was cognitive? Was, so, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Um, Thanks for trying to help me there. No, I, I like kept, the question. I kept asking so, that question for an hour. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> um, I did notice towards the end, he was literally just a corpse of himself. Mm. You know, and when I go back to visit his grave, I do it because it feels good and I feel connected and it's nice. I also know that's not my dad laying there. Mm. You know, I don't, I, for me personally, I believe we are like of the universe and all that shit. So once these fucking meat bags are done with us, it's like, all right, we go somewhere else. Awesome. I love saying meat bags. I say that all the time now. Yeah. It's just, you know, cause it is. even if you're just limp and lifeless, you get so much more difficult to carry around, even though you're the same weight. Yeah. Con- um, consciousness doesn't shift weight. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe he's in a fucking worse place. Maybe he has like worse cancer somewhere now. I don't know. But what I do know is that anytime I think of him, he's here. I know that the love is still there. When I go visit him at the grave, I know it's I'm doing that because we wrote his favorite song lyrics and put a Jets logo on the headstone. Nice. So it's a way to feel a little bit more connected, right? Mm-hmm. But he's I genuinely feel that he's always around with me if I need him. He's not going to give me an answer to a yes or no question. But if I sit down, like I'll sit down sometimes and I'll be like, Dude, what the fuck? Like, A, fuck you for not being here still. B, what's going on, dude? Like, I miss you, and I love you, and I know you're here with me, and I'm going through this right now. And so I try to, like, I try to imagine knowing what I know about him from growing up up until I was 16 when he got cancer, was diagnosed with cancer. Um, I try to fragment that and piece things together of how he would respond to me these days and questions I asked. <clears throat> and that's an interesting thing for me because related, you know, not relating to what you've experienced, but also relating to how we both lost our father is the questions I have today. And like you said, you mentioned like unanswered questions and this or that. The way I correlate that personally is there's just so many things I wish I could ask my dad today as a older, as a man. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, Grant, you, you were still, you're a man at 19, but you're not really a man. You're, you're I was like 15 when I was 19, dude. Yeah, like, maybe less. May, yeah, I didn't maybe. even know you then. I know. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's just those, those questions of that, you know, you, you get to miss out on today. You know what I mean? And I think that is, that is a part of 
you know, just coming to grips with that, but also correlated with the idea that knowing he's feeling like he's around you. Yeah. You know, you may not get that yes or no answer, but that is, that's like a comforting breeze kind of like lifting us up throughout the way as Bette Midler as that sounds. And um, <laughs> so I kind of want to ask you, because uh, on the way until like to roll this out, is, is there anything that, is anything that worked for you, like going through your process as a 19 year old man to all where you are today? It was, is there anything that stands out of getting through that process? I know you said there was an aha moment, but what, what did you get out of this? What did I get out of it or how have I come to this? I guess both. Okay. So wherever you want to go with that. How I've come to this. I mean, first off, I want to thank the Academy. I wasn't expecting this. Um, (laughs) You don't got an award. We got five minutes. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Dude, honestly, I wouldn't be, it would have been impossible for me without the support of all my friends, like everybody. Amen. You know what I mean? Family, obviously, but I relied heavily on my friends. And I can't imagine what it was like for them to be dealing with me. Sure, there's sympathy, empathy. I don't know what else. But to have me around going through all that shit. And this is another thing I never thought of, like going through it. But now it's like, holy shit, dude. Like, what would happen if I was that age and my friend came to me like, hey, guys, my dad's dying of cancer and I don't know how to process this shit. So having them around is was monumental and still is. Like I, I could literally have not gotten through it without them. I don't know where the fuck I would be. Um, another different way of me getting through this actually was my, my uh, previous marriage. My wife like kicked my ass a lot about it. And she was very sympathetic and helped me through it and was there for me when shit was like weird for me or whatever. But she was also like, dude, get it together and fucking go. Mm-hmm. Like, put all this shit in a backpack and throw it over your shoulder and fucking move, dude. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. Like, I can't just like mope in this. Like, it's too easy to just mope and feel all the negativity. Like, you do still have to carry on. And so having those two different relationships between my really great friends and family versus who she was for me helped catapult me into a bigger and better space. I love that. That's an idea of, uh, you know, that it's, you just said it, that it's, easy to feel these negative emotions and say that really is. That's the crazy part. It's like, we, yeah. if you feel like shit, you feel like you're whatever it is, that is the easy choice as where as it sounds. That's the easy choice is to sit there and just take it and feel miserable. To you, yeah. yeah, it's weird. And so like, the, it, so my point is it, t- it takes <clears throat> a shift in perspective. It takes work. It takes strength to get back to like, oh, I'm fucking positive and happy. Now at work, hey, Max, how's your day? Best fucking day of my life. Every day I say it. And you're like, yeah, yeah, we, we get it. We know. Yeah. <laughs> Now you're yeah, too, them off. you've gone yeah. too far. Yeah, It's amazing. People say be happy, but if you're too happy, it's like you're an asshole now. Like, why? <laughs> I know. It's like, <laughs> it's like, you're miserable, dude. But like, it's funny though, because I met some, like, some of the nicest people, happiest people, like they creep me out sometimes. But I'm like, at the same time, back in my head, I'm like, oh, that's great. They, they should be as happy. It's amazing. It, it's not about being happy as fuck all the time. It's about the sum of all the parts. Ultimately, dude, we're alive. We're here. We're doing this. We're having a great time. It's fresh air. We have great conversation. We eat good food. You know, like we meet beautiful people. Are you going to step in shit sometimes? Of course. Watch where you step, scrape it the fuck off or get a new pair of shoes and keep going. Like, Yeah, one time, I, one time I stepped in shit, was late for a flight. I'm already like, oh, I left the shoes outside and just drove. Great. And then you got a new pair. You're like, wow, I feel even better. You know what I mean? Yeah. So let's leave it on that note, huh? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> 
Max, I really appreciate you, man, being on. This is a long time coming. This is, uh, you know, I, I think I even, again, needed this just to talk to someone that, you know, I already, a lot of my guests are all amazing. I'm grateful for all of them. Um, but it's cool to, again, as always, to sit down with someone that's been a part of my life for so long. So yeah, um, I'm proud of you. I hope, I hope you're good. Are you good? I don't know. Me either. <laughs> well, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for being here. If there's any uh, last minute uh, mic drops you got, mic yeah, is yours. I just, uh, just want to say thank you for crunching this in short notice, man. I really think it's finally supposed to happen. I know we've been trying to do this forever. Um, I feel bad for talking so much because there's so much I want to talk to you and ask you about. So maybe we could do something else later. However, this has been honestly extremely therapeutic and it's felt so good to finally like honestly sit down and have a real conversation instead of just like joking about it. Like, Hey, my dad's dead too. Dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> be kind of, um, a couple of nice sentences here and there, but yeah. No, but, so thank you very much. And thank you for allowing me to sit down and talk to you about this and for affording us the time, man. It's been fantastic and feels great. Of course, man. That's why you're sitting there. We're not talking about my story, but maybe they'll be around too, either on the mics or off the mic. So reverse. All right, y'all. Thanks for the uh, peanut gallery in the back and to listen to this conversation. I want to thank you guys again for another episode of Dead Talks. Max Berlin, we out.